Let's open our Bibles as we continue through our Old Testament journey to the book of Joshua. And as Adler said, we're starting a little mini-series, three weeks, called Maximum Impact. The idea of this series is that God has uniquely designed you to live a certain life and to have maximum impact, to flourish. And listen, I feel like a motivational speaker. I feel like some trendy prosperity guy who's telling you your miracles around the corner. Uh, but, but look, this is steeply rooted in the very first chapter, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is the NIV where God instructs Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Here's why. That you may be careful to do everything that's written in it, not just be a hearer of God's word, but a doer. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Give me a show of hands this morning. How many of you want to be prosperous and successful in life? Okay, about half of you, right? Because we're in church. And we follow Jesus Christ who had nowhere to lay his head, right? He had no home. He was poor by choice, right? And we've had this aberrant teaching about prosperity in the church and success. So the idea is, well, I'm in church and I really don't want to say I want to be prosperous and successful. So let me ask the question a different way. How many here want your children to be prosperous and successful? Yeah, every hand goes up, right? And I see y'all, not all, not y'all here, but I see parents when I travel every weekend uh, at the Marriott, Fairfield Marriott, these, these low-end Marriotts, volleyball weekends, swimming weekends, lacrosse weekends. I spent years in ballet parking lots, right? Years, three daughters, years. I'm going to die broke. I'm, I'm on my 35th year of paying some form of tuition, okay? Why? Because I want my children to be prosperous and be successful in life. Um, Jesus said, and I'm going to change his words around, but it'll mean the same thing. Jesus said, if you took the great dads, lined them up on Father's Day, who empowered their children and, and just did the right thing for their children, all that goodness would be evil compared to the good that God has prepared for you. You got to believe this. And you see, the reason we recoil at it is because there's been aberrant teaching where a few Bible verses have been plucked, and the idea is that you can be successful and prosperous in life, in life, but by the world's scoreboard. So in the early 1980s, I become a Christian. I don't know anything about the Bible. And I begin to watch, and, and boy, it's hard to call this guy a pastor. He claimed he was. Uh, but his name was Robert Tilton. And he had this, radio, uh, this TV program called Success in Life, where he came on and told you you could be a success in life, but it was all by the world's scoreboard, right? It was money, fame, and power couched in Bible verses. But here's how he became successful. You sent your money to him. He claimed you would get rich, but he's the one that actually got rich. He became what he thought was a success in life. Problem was, he was exposed as a fraud, and every time this happens, the church gets a black eye. But right here in Joshua, this book of the law, uh, I didn't know much about the Bible when I became a Christian. When I read that verse, it changed everything, everything. I was in this brand new relationship with God. Uh, God had taken out uh, ambition out of my life and, you know, climbing the ladder and all those things that I thought were in front of me. And then there was a God who wasn't angry or mad at me, but wanted me to prosper 
and have good success. This became my life verse. For 30 years, I have lived by this verse. And I believe it with everything in the core of my being. Now, when we look at success, the question is, what is success in the kingdom of God? Forbes magazine has a cover. Uh, we're creating a billionaire a day. Can you believe this? When the pandemic started, I said there's going to be winners and losers. And so while people were queuing up and being little good boys and little girls and following all the regulations, guys were out making billions of dollars because they know how it works. When people are selling, you buy. When people buy, you sell. A billionaire every single day in our world. Now, is a billionaire successful? Well, most billionaires, I think, are. If you got into their life, they're probably intelligent and uh, they have great habits and so forth. By the world standard, yes, they are successful. What about the kingdom of God? Not so much. Jesus said your life doesn't consist of the things you possess. How about the guy who had enough, he had his barn filled, and he had this great idea, I'll build another barn, bigger barn. How'd that work out? Not so well, right? Jesus said your soul's required of you this day. And then Jesus said it was easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. And that wasn't the gate with a round hole for the camel to get through in a city. That was really the eye of a sewing needle. You have to put a camel in a blender to make him go through the eye of the needle, right? That's how hard it is. Jesus said, listen, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Paul told Timothy, there's going to be rich people. That's great. Tell them not to trust in riches. Tell them to be generous and to believe everything came from a good God. So when we look at biblical success, what God is speaking to Joshua, it's a million miles away from anything that the world has told us or tells us every single day through advertising and billboards and all the rest. Success biblically is maximizing the person God made you to be. That's all it really is. And we need to wake up to this idea in celebrity Facebook culture that we're all unique. The last time I checked, our fingerprints are different. The, the retina in our eyes, every hair in our head is numbered. You were put on this planet for a reason. There's gifts and talents within you and dreams God has given you. And so I want to tell you Ricky Staub's story. I love telling Ricky's story. He grew up in Philadelphia. He was an aspiring filmmaker two years out of college, which is nothing in the, in the film industry. He was in what he called rarefied air. He was working with M. Night Shyamalan, who's based here in Philadelphia. He was on his way to London uh, with Snow White and the Huntsman, you know, Charlize Theron. He was ready to work on that. And he was living not only the Hollywood, but the American dream. The only problem is, no one knew it, he was miserable. He was having what he called a life, midlife crisis at 24. By the way, for the younger crowd, I had a midlife crisis every year in my 20s. So if that's you, that's okay. Um, he was having a spiritual midlife crisis, as many do. He began to ask himself the deeper questions of life. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Is there even a God, right? He, he's already successful by the world standard, and he has this deep void in his life. So he was raised a Christian. He wasn't practicing. He cracked the Bible for the first time and was drawn to Jesus and his compassion. 
Compassion on the sick, compassion on the poor, compassion on those outside of Israel. And so Ricky said he did something, he took a step that is still the hardest thing he ever did. He quit. He walked away from Hollywood. And not only did he quit, he went to live in a homeless shelter called Kate's Place in Center City, Philadelphia. It was run by a nun, Kate, and Ricky went to live there for eight months and began to observe the homeless. You know what he discovered? They were all about one bad decision. That's why they were there. They were one bad decision that put them into the world of the homeless. And so we started a startup called Neighborhood Films, where he would take the formerly incarcerated, train them in film, and then make major television commercials for places like Anthropology and some of the bigger brands you all know. He said that, that only Sister Kate believed in him at one time. Well, Neighborhood Films became very successful. He gave a TED Talk. The mission statement was, we believe given the right training and opportunity, the formerly incarcerated can outperform a college graduate. Now, Ricky's back in the film world. In fact, my son met him out in LA. We're trying to get him the sizzling summer, by the way. You might want to pray about that. Uh, think Ricky's a success? Think God prospered Ricky? Yeah, I think he did. Now you might say, Pastor Bob, you always tell stories like this, but I'm not in rarefied air. In fact, the air I'm dealing with is pretty smelly, right? I got three kids in diapers. I got bills up to my neck. I'm 35. I don't know where I'm going. You know, uh, things are unraveling for me. I've got this disease or this problem. And, and what I'm trying to say is success and prosperity is not defined by who you are or what you do. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. You are made in the image of God. And so whether you're a homemaker or a plumber or a teacher or a doctor, whatever you are, success will look different for all of us. You think the woman who gave her last two mice was a success? You think the woman who broke the alabaster box of ointment was a success? Yeah, Jesus said they're going to tell this story for 2,000 years. Think Mary growing up in Nazareth. Nazareth, Josephus tells us, had, was one of 50 towns in the Galilee. It's never mentioned in the Bible. It, it was that low. It was on the other side of the tracks. Mary grows up there. But called by God to be the mother of God. You read her Magnificent in Luke, and it's, this is a woman steeped in Scripture and walks out her calling and is successful and prosperous. Um, talk about the prosperity gospel, Right? They take a few of these verses, they put them together and say, God wants to make you rich, but to get rich, you got to send money to them, right? Uh, had a guy come speak here one time, and he spoke on 3 John. 3 John is a creedal text of the prosperity teachers. It says, it's just an opening, right? It says, beloved, I wish that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers, right? It's not a formula, it's just a greeting. And this preacher went on to preach a message that since serving God, he's become prosperous had great success, and he's healthier than he's ever been. You know why? He said, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. God took that away. That's 80 bucks a month. Uh, my, my drinking habit, 150 a month. I used to go to strip clubs, Vegas, gamble. He goes, I totaled everything up. I'm saving 50000 a year by being a Christian. Yeah, <laughs> prosperity works. God works, yeah. I want to give you the Bob Gaglione definition of success. Living out day by day, and that's what it is, it's daily, 
The life that God has planned for you by embarking on a lifelong journey, not to your 30, 40, or 50, a lifelong journey, in the discovery of your giftings, talents, dreams, and passions that make you feel most alive. The purpose of this is to glorify God, right? God's glorified when we use our gifts. To inspire and bless others like Ricky Staub, all the while being true to how God made you. Not how he made the person sitting next to you. You need to be you. You need to, you need to look back when you were a little kid and what was your passion? What, what made you come alive? And listen, again, this isn't for somebody 16, 26, 36. You know, we're going to see in a few minutes. This is until you take your last breath. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. There are new horizons. There are steps. There are open doors. They never cease. At the end of the day, success is to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now the rest the Father has laid up for you from the foundation of the world. Now let me say this. Heaven will be that rest. Now, Hebrew says we've entered a rest now. We're, we're, we've rested from striving. We're not striving for salvation. We, we rest in faith. But, but let me tell you what's going on here. Israel is standing at the Jordan River looking into the land of promise. Now, their parents were there 40 years ago. Moses sent spies into the land. They never crossed the Jordan. They all died in the wilderness. There's a new generation. They're looking in to the land of promise. This is the land of maximized marriages, maximized businesses, maximized parenting, maximized life. God of the covenant's dream is on the other side. You need to understand that. This is what Moses heard at the burning bush. I will deliver Israel and bring them into a land. The promise to Abraham was land and people. And here's what was at stake. The temple and Jesus and all that we know and think and feel and the second coming. This was all ahead of them as they stood looking over into the Jordan. Canaan land is not heaven. Uh, it's not your ultimate rest. It's a rest. It's not your ultimate rest. It's the land where God will prosper you and make you a success. But I'll give you the bad news up front. It's a battlefield. Uh, the book of Joshua is a war manual. That's really what it is. Joshua is not a pastor. He's a general. Physically, they would possess the land. Spiritually, as we look back, this is a type of what God has called us to. To really understand it, let's put it in context. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. How do you think that went over in the camp? you imagine that? Well, Moses, my servant, is dead. No big deal. Wait a second. There's three million people in that camp. And word travels fast. Bad news travels faster than good news, right? Moses is dead. Uh, they complained when they had Moses. He's dead. This is the guy that parted the Red Sea, brought manna. This is the guy who talked to God face to face. Moses is dead. We're dead. That's how it works. This is not a happy day. 
And uh, people don't like assistants, right? They like the guy. Moses was the guy. God goes on. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. And he, and he gives the outline. No man shall be able to stand before you in all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, this is a great promise, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance in the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper. There's that word again wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. To observe it and do according that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Anybody see a word popping up over and over again? Courage. Be courage. Be courageous. Be very courageous. Be really courageous, right? Uh, why would they need all of this courage? Here's why. When they walked through the Red Sea, that was a type of salvation. Uh, Moses just raised his rod, the Red Sea parted. Paul in 1 Corinthians says that was a type of our salvation. That was our baptism. We were all baptized into Moses. That was the work of God, not of man. They were delivered by the Passover. They walked through as on dry land. That sea is different than the Jordan. The Jordan is a far different body of water. The body of water, the Jordan, is a barrier for you and me to all that God has for us and where we are currently. Does everybody understand that? See, there is a barrier to the good life that God has and the life of maximized potential, and there always will be. And there is water raging between you and all that God has for you. See, the difference here is you got to take a step. At the Red Sea, God did it all through Christ, right? We didn't earn salvation. Ephesians says it's the gift of God, not of works, lest man should boast. That was a done deal. It is finished on the cross. To get into the land of maximized potential, you need to take a step. And so as we go through this, I'm going to give you a pathway to maximize potential. Before I do, I want to say this to everyone who's under 40. Did you catch that phrase? As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Moses, my servant, is dead. The great men and women will die. The work of God never dies. Do you know why? Because God is the hero of the Old Testament. See, we, we make celebrities out of Moses and Joshua and all that, and they're wonderful men. They're men in the hall of faith, women, Rahab's in the hall of faith. I get all that. God is the hero of the Old Testament. God is the hero of the Bible. God parted the Red Sea. God brought the manna. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He used Moses, and, and, and he uses our giftings, right? Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. He understood complex organizations. Same with Paul, right? Peter could have never written a third of the New Testament. He didn't even know Greek. God used Paul, used the human instrument. Moses, my servant, is dead. Don't worry about Moses. He's with me. He's 
He's in, he's in rarefied air. <laughs> he's doing well. Rise up, Joshua. Rise up the next generation. Anyone under 40, listen. We're starting to see leaders die off. And God's going to raise up a new generation. And I know what's going on in the culture, and I know you all think the world's ending, and we've never seen anything like this before. We've seen stuff like this before. What do you think it was when, like when Roe v. Wade was passed? What do you think Christians felt like the day after we decided as a nation we're going to kill babies? What do you think it was like when, when schools began throwing out creation and teaching evolution, right? The work of God will never die until Jesus comes. There is a next generation. Some of you are it. Some of you we're going to have to sell out for what God has called you to. But with a little bit of time that I have remained, let me give you the pathway. And this will be three weeks, but let me just start on a pathway to maximizing the potential God has for you. And it always begins in the same place, the Word of God. Do not let this Word depart from you. When my son went to college, I gave him a Bible. And I wrote in its first page, this book will keep you from sin. This book will be your guide. The word of God is pure and undefiled. First Peter said it's like milk, it helps us grow. Eugene Peterson said that Christians, we don't simply learn or study scripture, we assimilate it, we take it into our lives, it nourishes us. So, can I make an appeal this morning? And this is the appeal I want to make. And I'm going to use a couple props. My dad was a landscaper, and in my garden, this is my favorite tool. It's called a spade. I can do anything with this tool. I can cut beds. I can dig holes. I can plant things. I, I, I could do, do things in my garden you need other tools with, with this spade. If you took this one away and bought me a new one, I'd be mad. It's worn. It's mine. I, I, I know it. Even looking here, I know it. This is a four rescue club in golf. I was so bad when I started golf, uh, rescue clubs had just come out. They get the ball in the air a little higher. Uh, today, a four rescue club, I can hit about 205 yards. I can hit it from under a tree. I can putt with it. Again, this is my go-to tool in golf. Y'all seen one of these lately? It's a pen. If you want to know how extinct a pen is, ask for one one time. Ask somebody for a pen. I remember when I used to teach, I'd say, all right, get out a piece of paper and a pen. If I said that now, oh my gosh, be, hardly anybody have a pen on them, right? This is a tool that if you took away from me, I couldn't preach. I write out my messages longhand. I feel God move when I write. This is a tool. This is my Bible. I've dropped this on highways. It's been run over, spilled on, dropped in water, rebound. If you took it away from me, now I have about nine or ten Bibles for study and stuff, but this is my tool. My appeal is that if the Word of God is going to get into your system, you need a physical Bible. Now, I'm not against technology, and I understand you can do great things, and I have the Bible on my phone. But here's the problem with the Bible on your phone. You're going to read two verses and then check your text messages or go to ESPN or whatever you do. 
Right now, I have no phone. I have no phone on me right now. And I won't till noon. No phone. Um, what can happen? I don't know. But I have no phone right now. No phone. You need a physical Bible. You need something you can write in, underline, mark. It's a tool. You need to learn it. You need to feel it. You need to turn its pages. You need to cross-reference. Uh, if you don't want to carry like one of those big Bibles around, we have those little ESVs. ESVs, they're like this big, books of the Bible. Ladies, we have this brand new product where you can get something that looks like a magazine. Whatever you need to get, you need a tool. The Bible informs me of God's will. It reminds me of his love. It convicts me of my living. It reminds me I'm in a battle. There's a real enemy. Uh, it challenges me. One of the things I've been telling you this year, my New Year's revolution, re resolution, was to read old books. Stop reading all these new books. Read old books. So I'm rereading the Screw Tape Letters by Lewis, and I have one of the originals. This was a mass paperback edition. Guess what it was? Uh, this was back in the 60s. $2.05. Can you believe this? Um, so if you ever read the Screw Tape Letters, Screw Tape is a demon uh, writing to his nephew, who's an apprentice demon called Wormwood. And he's telling Wormwood about the human condition. This is a classic, by the way. It's genius. Um, so Screwtape writes, and he says, My dear Wormwood, I know with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. That's bad in the demon world. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. Here's the takeaway. All the habits of the patient, the convert, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. How do you like that? Was Lewis a genius? The demons aren't trembling because you're in church. They're not even trembling because you're a Christian. The odds are in their favor. They've watched hum humanity for thousands of years. And if I don't have the word of God to check me, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with my marriage. I'm in trouble with my life. I'm in trouble with the flesh. The word of God steers us. It guides us. It speaks to us. The word became flesh. It gives us courage. The second path to maximize potential, listen, very important, is what I call the law of the first step. Joshua Chapter 1, verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp. Command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Akasha Grove and came to the Jordan. And he and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from the place you're going after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, it's about 500 yards. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. They've never come into the land. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. 
God said, you're not going to be led by this pillar anymore. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go before you. The priests are going to line up and you're going to walk through the Jordan River. Get this, in three days. God cracks me up with this. You know, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is like, cool, let's wait four days, right? And then we'll go. God's in the three days. I don't know why. Three days seems to be the time of testing. It's when you look at the barrier, and it's massive. You know, tonight in Ardmore, I'm teaching in Matthew chapter 8, and it says when Jesus came down the mountain, and that was the mountain of Beatitude, the mountain where he gave the vision of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, what the kingdom would look like, and he comes down the mountain. Who do you think the first person he sees is? A leper. See? Someone marred, someone in the image of God marred by sin, someone that's unclean, who smells, who, who's been so devastated by sin and sickness and the fall. This is life, right? You know, mountaintop experience, come down the mountain, there's a leper. Then a centurion whose servant's paralyzed. Then somebody's got a fever. And then, you know, somebody's demon-possessed. This is the way it works. And there's these barriers that talk to us. You ever have things talk to you, right? That's why self-talk's so important because the fiery darts are coming. You're looking at that barrier. And look, they're looking at a barrier that's impossible to cross. And so the first thoughts are, this is impossible. We're out of our minds. The second thought, sometimes can be worse, is through human ingenuity, we're going to work this out. Let's build a bridge. We'll build a boat. We'll, we'll build a tunnel. Like, you know, <laughs> you can kind of get into all this stuff. And there's something about three days with God, right? Three days, Jonah's in the belly of the fish. Three days, Jesus, the heart of the earth. On the third day, Esther went to the king. Three days seems to be a time of waiting. Jesus tempted in the wilderness three times. And for three days, they're on the other side of the Jordan. There's this barrier, and all they got to do is take a step. And the law of the first step is simple. you got to step out in faith, right? When you earn salvation... But to get into the place of maximized potential, you need to take a step. It's scary. We were doing church in the media theater. We had a campus in media. We had a million dollars in the bank. And we bought this land, and it was the scariest thing we had ever done. And we started to look at the numbers to build a church here, and it was scary. And we took a step. And here we are. I worked for Boeing for 12 years. God called me to ministry. I had to take a step. You have a story. I have a story. Ricky Staub took a step. He quit. Took another step. He went to a homeless shelter. God can't take the step for you. By the way, Reuben, Gad, these are tribes, two of the tribes, and half-tribe of Manasseh already told Moses they were staying on the other side of the Jordan. They already told Moses, uh, Joshua, excuse me, we're not going. We're not crossing. We're going to stay here. We'll commute in every day. We'll, we'll work hard. We'll do everything you want us to do. But we're going to, they already decided they're going to stay here. There's Christians that do that. Oh, we'll just stay here. We don't want to go into where the giants are. We don't want to cross these barriers. Peter got out of the boat. He sank. 
But at least he got out of the boat. And by the way, went on to write books of the Bible and became a martyr. And you can see a statue in Rome today and everybody knows his name. I was at a Convoy of Hope conference last week and uh, I was in a hot tub and there was a guy there. I love hot tub ministry. And um, <laughs> there was a guy in the hot tub and he worked for Convoy. Convoy gives, you know, $350 million away a year. And um, I said, what's your story? He said, well, you know, I was a child prodigy in computers. When computers started, he goes, by the age of 22, I was offered a job of $250,000. This is back in the 90s. It's a lot of money. And he said, I went to that job for the first day, um, and then I quit. But I had enough money because they gave me a bonus to buy, like, this sports car, this red, beautiful sports car, 22. And I took a job as a youth pastor for $5 an hour, but man, I was the coolest youth pastor around because I had a sports car. It was amazing. He went on to pastor a very large church, now leads um, an entire effort of convoy. Quite successful. God has made his way prosperous. Do you have to quit your job? No. Do you have to go in the ministry? No. But you got to take a step. You got to hear the voice of God and take a step because every time you take a step, the faith muscle builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And then finally, the path to successful Christian living is to remember all that God has done and to celebrate victories. Chapter 4, verse 1, it came to pass that when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Joshua called 12 men who he had appointed over the children of Israel, one from every tribe. And Joshua said, cross over before the ark of the Lord God your midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And this will be a sign among you, listen, when the children ask... What do these stones mean? Notice the emphasis God puts on the next generation, on children. By the way, children didn't even matter in the Greco-Roman world, let alone at this time in history. And yet in Deuteronomy, he said, teach this to your children. Here, God said, these stones of remembrance are for your children. That's why the Jews have been intact for all these centuries, wherever they go, because there's something of a, of a family inheritance. We need to celebrate victories, guys. Uh, if you hang around here long enough, in the fall, we'll have what we call a anniversary service. I think it'll be our 28th anniversary. And some people say, well, why do we do that? That seems silly. Why don't we just teach the Bible and blah, blah, blah? Because God has done great things. Because children walk here and they think this just appeared. This was a magic kit. No, they need to hear the story of what God has done and what God can do. We need to inspire generations. Now, we have markers, by the way. Jesus left us two. Jesus said there are two stones of remembrance in our lives. One is baptism. So when I baptize someone, I say, look, when, the, when you're seeing barriers in life, point to the waters of baptism where it was finished. By the way, God gave us another remembrance, communion. Communion. 
Every time you do this, you celebrate the Lord's death till he comes, you remember your salvation. Uh, like all of you, I have a YouTube feed that picks out my preferences. And I came across a clip of an interview with a pastor and Bishop T.D. Jakes. Uh, T.D. Jakes, every time I see him in an interview, he's one of the smartest men I've, I've ever seen. The analogies he gives and just his examples in life. And he went through something that I thought if the culture would only listen to, man, could we change things. I don't know if you know this, but everybody at the top is trying to divide us, right? All the leaders are trying to divide us, the followers underneath. T.D. Jake stood up and he said, the men who came from England in the early part of the building of this nation had to endure sickness and disease and harsh winters. They had no indoor plumbing. They had no cars. They had no phones. They had to endure all these hostilities, and they made it. And then he said for the black people that were enslaved, they worked from sunup till sundown with no paycheck. And they ate the scraps of the master's houses. And when they were free, they had to go out and make a way for themselves without education and without all the things that we know and enjoy today. And he pointed to the crowd and he said, and if you're sitting here with your Apple watch and your fancy car and even your brown skin, don't tell me you can't make it. Because they made it, and you can make it. And the children of Israel made it, and you can make it. Whenever I'm invited to speak, where young people are in attendance, I give them my dash talk. That's how easy it is. And I say, I do a lot of funerals. And when I have, pun intended, dead time at a funeral, I look at gravestones. And a gravestone will have the day we came into the world and the day we're all going to leave. And it's different for everybody. Blaise Pascal, my favorite philosopher, died at 39. Billy Graham lived to 100. Jesus died at 33. The only thing common to all of us is we're given a dash. And if this only ministers to one person today, it was worth it. What are you doing with your one and only dash? What are you doing with the life God has given you? The dreams, the talents, and listen, it's not over. It's not over. We're not talking about, you don't have to start a film company. Maybe you will. You don't have to start a church. You just need to listen to the voice of God. And take a step of faith and watch him do what only he can do. Next week, we're going to find out. They took a step of faith. They came into the land. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, except the billboards there were for the Baals, the gods of the Canaanites, and fortified cities and giants. But look, they took a step before they ever knew the walls would come down. They took a step before they ever knew that God had gone before them. There is a way a man plans for himself and it's always death. There is a life God has for you in him that will always lead you to prosperity and success. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
that's what God called him to do.